I have this strong sense of confidence that the Lord wants to say something to you guys today. And, and probably the thing that, that gave me the greatest clarity was when I woke up yesterday and my back went out on me. Uh, Jared and I understand this mutual problem. We're both strapping young men and uh, our backs keep going out on us. Uh, though Jared had the benefit of uh, Reggie praying over him and healing his back, and uh, I slipped under the radar. And this morning, I had to sleep on a futon last night, curled up in a ball because my back was so bad. And I woke up this morning, and I just felt like the Lord going, yeah, man, when you're weak, I'm strong. So go up to that pulpit, preach my word, and then watch what I can do. I'm expecting. I don't know what God's going to do, but here I am. If I grimace, it's not because I don't love you. I love you. It's because I'm in pain. But the Lord sustained me on one message. He's going to do it again. He has put a message on my heart, as you heard Jared talk about, that I, I just I feel like the Lord's saying, stop everything and talk about this. And so we are taking this break from Exodus, and we're, we're going to talk about something that I feel like is an incredible opportunity for us, that if we don't seize, we will pay for it. Actually, the next generation will pay for it. I think the Lord is telling us right now that we need to invest in the next generation like never before, and heaven and hell depend on it. In a way like we have never invested in the next generation, God is calling us to take that step. I don't know if you know this or not. But the church is always one generation away from extinction at any given time. Doesn't matter how vibrant, how strong that church is, one generation away. If there, if there rises up another generation who doesn't walk with God or serve him, the church can die like that. So God is doing something in our church. You, you heard Jared talk about it. You've heard Reggie talk about it, me talk about it. There, it's incredible. Last Sunday at the end of the service, we had seven more people publicly declare faith in Christ and baptized. Many of you were here to watch it. Praise God. I hadn't looked at the number in a while. After a while, I just kind of lost track because every Sunday we would see somebody stir the waters by the grace of God. And I asked, well, how many is that? In the last 16 months since we started doing that, that's 480 people who have publicly declared their faith in Christ. People, that's bonkers. That's crazy town. I don't even know, other than the fact that we're praying, there's no explanation except God saying, I'm, I'm wanting to move. There's a vibrancy right now in our church. And not just with the baptisms, there's, there's growth. And I'm not just talking about numerical, although there is that. I'm talking about spiritual growth in our congregation right now, like I have never seen. I'm seeing a boldness in prayer and worship in our congregation that I haven't seen. I get all these reports on these mission trips our students are taking, there, and they're going, hey, these teams that receive, they've never seen young people worship and pray the way our young people worship and pray. And there's something happening right now in our church. There's a vitality. There, there are marriages getting healed. There are people being healed from diseases right now. There are miracles taking place in our congregation because our church is praying like it's never prayed before. But here's what's so crazy about all that. As amazing as things are going right now in our church, if the next generation rises up and they do not know or walk with the Lord, every single door of every single one of our campuses will be shut in one generation. It'll all be over. We must invest in the next generation. And let me go ahead and be honest with you. If it happens, that guilt will be on our shoulders, not their shoulders. And I'm talking about us adults in this church. God has given us an incredible opportunity, but also an amazing burden, and we must not miss it. Shouldn't surprise us that this is a possibility. In the seventh book of the Old Testament, you see some crazy happen where in one generation, everything falls apart. I want you to turn to the book of Judges. So if you don't know your Old Testament all that well, it's the seventh book. 
You got the Pentateuch, the first five books, then Joshua, and then Judges. We're going to be in chapter two. I want to go ahead and catch you up to the story. So we've been in Exodus. That's already happened. Moses led them across the Red Sea, and then they wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until that entire generation dies out because they didn't have faith to believe God could give them the promised land. So that generation dies out. They raises up a new generation. Now Moses is dead. This, is, this generation is led by Joshua. And this generation is a generation that crosses the Red Sea, excuse me, the Jordan River to go into the promised land, and they begin to conquer the promised land and receive the inheritance. The very thing that God had promised to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, now hundreds of years later is finally being realized. And they're in the promised land. The 12 tribes are separating, and now it's time for Joshua to die. And that's where we jump into the story. Judges chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 6. I want you to just hear the first few verses here. Judges 2, 6, when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. Okay, we're going to park right here on what's taking place. So it says Joshua dismissed the people. But what you've got to understand, what Joshua is doing is not saying, hey, farewell, goodbye. He is sending them to their mission. It says he dismissed the people and they went to go take possession of their inheritance. Let me tell you what they're doing. They're fulfilling the mission of God here. God had told them, you're going to go into the promised land and you were going to conquer all the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Amorites, all these ites in the land. You're going to take possession. That's the mission I have for you, to claim the promise I give you. So Joshua is not dismissing them. He's sending them. Now, if you're a part of Fielder Church, you've been here at any length of time, you know this is the exact same thing we do at the end of the services. We don't dismiss you like church is over. You are the church. We send you out to the mission field every single Sunday to take possession of the promises God is giving you. That's what Joshua's doing here. He's saying, I want you to go out and fulfill the mission of God. Be sent into your mission. And so they go, and it says that whole generation served Yahweh. Now, when it says served Yahweh, that word for abad, to serve, is the same word that you would use for a slave to a master. It's saying that they're saying to God, to Yahweh God, your agenda, God, is my agenda. What you want me to do, you own me, I'll do it. If you want me to take possession of the land, I'll do it. They are faithfully serving the master as his servants. And they go to fulfill the promises. And as they go, there's a little word in here. It's, it's one word in Hebrew, but it's two in English. In verse 7, it says, They served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and they, all those who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Great work. I want, I want to park on that real quickly. These people served Yahweh because they had seen the great work of Yahweh. What he's referring to here are the miracles of God. He's saying all that generation that saw the miracles of God, they just couldn't help it. They served Yahweh every single day of their life. Now, the miracles are profound miracles. Now, I want to tell you just a few of them so you can understand what these guys have seen. So remember, these people didn't see the parting of the Red Sea. That generation died in the wilderness. But this generation saw another parting of waters. When they got up to the Jordan River, it was this massive river flowing down. They could not cross with their army of several hundred thousand. And God said, you're just going to have to trust me. Walk into the water and see what I'll do. And it says the first priest, the moment his foot stepped into the water, immediately the water dried up. 
And the whole army of God was able to cross this dry river as he dried it up upriver so that they could walk across on perfectly dry ground. In fact, they set up an altar right in the middle of the river that would be there forever. And then on the other side, they set up another altar to remember what God had done. And when the last person crosses over, immediately the water starts rushing behind them. They saw a miracle of God parting the waters so they could go across just like the previous generation had seen. And they saw it with their own eyes. Next thing they do is they go up to this massive fortified city that is impenetrable called Jericho. And here are a bunch of people who a few decades before were a bunch of slaves. These aren't military mighty men. They're coming up to this fortress. They don't know what to do. And many of you know the story. God says, here's what you're going to do. March around the city seven times for seven days. And on the seventh day, you're going to hold an all day long worship service. You're just going to walk around with tambourines and horns and worship. You're just going to praise me all day long as you circle the city seven times. And then when you're done, you're going to shout a hallelujah against the wall and watch what I can do. And sure enough, they do it, and the wall falls in on itself, and they just mosey right on up into the city and completely conquer the impenetrable city like that. That's the great work of God. But probably the greatest one is one that people would just flip right over, barely even see. There's another time when Joshua is leading the army of God, and they're defeating some of the enemies, and Joshua needs more time. He sees the sun is starting to move, and it's going to start setting. And so Joshua prays this crazy prayer, oh God, let the sun stand still so we can defeat this enemy. And for I don't know how many hours, literally the sun stands in its place. I don't know if there's any scientists in here, but that's a pretty big deal. Like either the earth stopped rotating or the sun is rotating. I don't know how that happens, but somehow God made the sun stand still for hours so they could conquer it. And the Bible says there was never a miracle like it before or after. They saw the great work of God, the miracles of God. And because they saw the miracles of God, they couldn't help it. They were going to obey. They were going to abide, serve Yahweh God. He says, go conquer the nations. They say, yes, sir. They go conquer the nations because they know the power of their great God. Now, I want to pause right here, and I want to say something really, really important for you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you heard Reggie talk about it. It's the same God we serve. Jesus isn't 2.0. He's still God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is God, the same God of all eternity. And if this God, when he served, does miracles, guess what you should see in your life too? Miracles. You too should see the great work of God in your life because you serve the same God. Now, I want you to be honest with yourself. Do you see the miracles of God in your life? Because if you don't, that says something. There should be times when you can tell stories of what God has done in your life. Man, there was this time when I was, I was just broken in addiction and overwhelmed and I tried so hard to change and I turned to Christ and I, I trusted in him and immediately that addiction left me, miraculously. Let me tell you all about it. It's the miracle work of God that you have a story to tell. Well, man, there was this person in my school and they were just so mean and cruel and like so far away from God, but I felt God tell, that I, tell me that I should pray for them and share Christ with them and I was scared, but I did it and they came to faith in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you the story. Where there was this time when I felt like Lord telling me I was supposed to take a mission trip and it cost $3,000. I didn't know how in the world I was going to pay for it, but I said, here I am, Lord, send me, I trust you. And a check comes in the mail out of nowhere at the exact time that I needed it. You're telling the stories, the miracles of God. Every one of us who are believers in Jesus Christ should have stories to tell the next generation of the great work of God, the things that we've seen. And if we don't have stories to tell, I'm going to say it again, that means something. 
that there are two ingredients that allow us to see the miracles of God, faith in God and obedience to his mission. When these two things come together, that's when you see the miracles of God. When you believe God for the impossible and you serve him in whatever he tells you to do, that's when you see his miracles. Now, let me go ahead and tell you, there are a lot of people who think, yeah, I'm saved if I believe in God, even if I'm not living for his mission. But God, Jesus, wants to be Savior and Lord, not just one or the other. If he's going to save us from our sins, he's going to do it when he becomes master of our lives, which means we live for his mission, not our own. So any genuine believer in Jesus Christ should have both of those going on in their lives, and therefore, they should see the miracles of God. And if you aren't seeing the miracles of God, let me say it a third time, it means something. At the end of the service, I'm going to tell you what you need to do about that, because there is some, there's a step you need to take so you too can begin to see the miracles of God. But I, I want you to know these people in this book, they were seeing the miracles of God. And because they were seeing the miracles of God, there was this beautiful thing taking place, this, this beautiful symmetry as, as a circle would go around like a, like a flywheel. So they would see the miracles of God. They would have faith in God even more when they see his miracles, which would cause them to want to live more for his mission, where they would see more miracles of God, which would generate more faith. So they would live even more for his mission. They see more miracles and on and on it would go. And this generation gets bolder and bolder as they're conquering the promised land and seeing the miracles of God. And everything is great until the next generation comes. And I want you to see what happens in one generation. And I pray it sobers us. Let's go to verse 10, Judges chapter 2. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the bells. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Asheroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. And whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. One generation, the previous generation sees the miracles of God. They're conquering the promised land. The next generation, they utterly abandon the Lord. They are no longer serving Yahweh. Now they're bowing down to false gods. And they spiral out of control in one generation. And when it says they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, that is the understatement of the century. The, the, the evil they did, if you've ever read the book of Judges, and if you haven't, I encourage you when this is over to go back and read the book of Judges, Start from chapter 2 and finish the book, and you are going to see what evil looks like. It's idolatry, absolutely, but incredible sexual misconduct, unholy vows, tribal warfare, murder, like the, the most vile, evil thing you could imagine. This is what the people were doing. Because it says they began to do what was right in their own sight. And the moment people start doing what's right in their own sight, that's when evil starts getting out of control. That's exactly what happened. One generation later in the whole church, the whole people of God is falling apart. Now, I want you to, I want you to think about what happens to them. Because I'm going to make a correlation here. It says they, were, they went from strength and conquering to now they're being plundered by all their enemies. Because they're seeking false gods. And they're in incredible distress. And it just makes me think about the younger generation today. I don't know if you know this. But the statistics are not good for what's going on in the mental, emotional, spiritual space 
of our youngest generation, of Gen Z and younger. Right now, there are people, and I think most of you know this, that are abandoning the church in droves. The moment they get freedom, they're no longer under their parents' home, they are abandoning the church in droves. Right now, there are unprecedented levels of anxiety and depression and suicidal tendencies and angst. It is out of control right now. And we used to blame a pandemic, but it's pervasive now. It's still going on. And here's what's so crazy about it. The youngest generation right now has the most resource in the history of humanity, the most education, the most opportunity, the most of everything, and they are dealing with it the worst psychologically and emotionally and spiritually right now. They are being plundered by an enemy. But that enemy isn't living overseas somewhere, some other nation that has firearms. That enemy is Satan himself, and he is plundering a whole generation. They are in distress and being overwhelmed. But I want to ask you a very difficult question, adults in this room. Our children are being plundered, and whose fault is it? In case you don't know, I'm going to go ahead and come back to the story, because it's going to teach us. In this story, it says, there arose a generation who did not know the Lord or the great works that he had done. And again, you got to ask, in this story, in the book of Judges, whose fault was it? If, if you don't know what the law of Moses said, I want to take you to another part. We're going to flip to one other place, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. It's called the Shema. It was one of the, it's one of the most important teachings of the nation of Israel, the Jewish people really helps us understand the role of the older generation and what's supposed to do for the next. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4, very, very famous passage. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. He's saying, parents, here's what you do. You teach the next generation over and over and over. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're sitting in your living room, you teach them about God. If you're walking on the road, if you're driving in the car, you teach them about God. You put it all over your house. You make sure there's no chance the next generation doesn't know who I am and the great things that I've done. You teach them every bit of this. This was the, the law of God that these Israelites knew. They knew what had been commanded them. They were supposed to memorize this thing. And in one generation, there arose a people who didn't know the Lord in the great works that he had done. And whose fault was it? It was the adults. It was the parents. They were the ones who'd seen the miracles with their own eyes, and they forgot to tell their children. They forgot to tell them who Yahweh is. And these children suffered so immensely because the adults didn't step in. And we look today, and we see our Gen Z and younger being ravaged by a whole bunch of false gods. And let me tell you, they're being ravaged by false gods. There's a whole world right now saying, oh, Christianity, man, that's so old school. That's ancient. It's, it's so closed-minded. And no, you know what? There are things in this world that are so much better. And they are being fed on social media and all these other places right now. Look. Popularity, that's where you're going to feel happy. Sleeping around, that's when you're going to feel happy. Seeking that substance, that pleasure, that's when you're going to be happy. Why don't you be that pro athlete? Because until you make it, you're not going to be happy. Why don't you get that killer job to make that money so you can buy those things? That's where you're going to be happy. There are all these false gods that are being taught to the younger generation. 
And they don't know enough to say those gods can't satisfy. And so they go after them and they get plundered. And it is our fault that it is happening. And I think God is saying to us, adults, when will you open your eyes and say, not on my watch? There will not rise up a generation on my watch that doesn't know Yahweh and the great things he's done. There will not be a generation here who hasn't heard the stories of the miracles of God, who doesn't know if they reject him, it's going to be because they choose to, not because they didn't know any better. Not on our watch. I think God is telling us it's time for us to step in. Now, I know there are many of you in this room who are parents, and you feel a little bit defensive right now. Like, Jason, I'm trying so hard. I'm doing everything I can. I'm taking them to church. I'm trying. And, and they just, they wander away and they reject and they push because there's so many other influences, Jason. They don't listen to me. What am I supposed to do? Listen, if you're feeling that way, I want to go cry with you after the service is over because I understand. I, I, I got six kids of my own and mine range from 19 down to seven. And so I see the spectrum. And let me tell you one of the things I've learned. Some of you are going to need to shout hallelujah in just a moment. Once they get to teenagers, they don't care what you think anymore. Hallelujah. You know it's true. Now, when they're kids, every once in a while, they'll listen to you. They think you're pretty great, and they get older and older and older and older. And the older they get, the more they, de they decide you don't know jack squat. It, it is a natural progression of parenting. By the way, there's a whole thing called behavioral science that talks about this move of children, these three pillars, starts with parents or guardians' influence being the strongest, then it moves to other adults that become a stronger influence, which is the craziest thing ever. Like, I'll tell my kids something, they don't believe me, some other adult tells them at like school, and they're like, oh, this is great. Like, I told you that four months ago. But if another adult says it, it must be true. And then they graduate, well, they don't care what those adults say either, it's only what their peers think. And this is the way it moves, the parental to other adults to peers. God didn't make a mistake. He knew what he was doing in designing it this way. And we as a church have to step into all three of these areas. And I got to be honest with you. If you're a parent in here, I want to, I want to encourage you. I think many of you are doing a phenomenal job raising your kids. Many of you are doing an incredible job giving them opportunity. And I know you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Maybe you don't have a 45 minute Bible study every night, but you're trying to live out your faith in front of them, trying to tell them who God is and share stories with them. Praise God. This is why we want to partner with you. This is why we do things like parent commissioning services, where people can come up here and make a public vow that these arrows, these children don't belong to me. They belong to God, and I want to send them out into the mission of God because you believe in this. This is why the children's ministry partners with you and tries to send you info so you can reinforce the things they're learning at church. This is why, in fact, we're even going to have a training in, in August. You're going to hear more about it soon where we're going to have a, a whole conference about shepherding your children's heart. Because we want to equip you parents to do the work that you want to do in your home. Because I believe you want to do it. And I think there are many of you who are doing a great job and we're trying to support you. I don't actually think that's our biggest problem right now. On the other side, we have peer groups. And remember, iron sharpens iron. You, these peers become more and more important. This is why we are so strategic in having mission trips that start with 6th grade. that go all the way through 12th grade. Every year, they have a mission trip opportunity that gets further and further advanced in mission so that they can be about the mission of God with their peers being transformed. And what God does on these mission trips is phenomenal. As these people live out the glory of God, they see the power of God and the miracles of God. And I think we do a great job trying to help peers have a, a, a culture and a people where they can sharpen each other and grow in their faith. But if I'm being honest with you, the one gaping hole that we have 
is right here in the middle. It is other adults investing in children who are not their own. We do not have enough of that in our church right now. I, I don't know if you know this, but right now in the hundreds and hundreds of people who are in this room, there are a handful of volunteers who are on the second floor and third floor and out in the, the B hall and other places of the church. And they're not babysitting our kids. They're raising up an army that's going to take the world. That's what they're doing right now. They're investing in the future generation. They're, that is the worst golf clap you could ever give. It, and I, I think one of the reasons why we have a tendency to golf clap is because we don't all fully understand what they do. I think there are many of us that we think that like it's just a bunch of unruly kids. They're trying to whip them, keep them down, you know, so that they can hand them back in one piece to their parents. But the, really, it's about the parents and they just got to keep up with the kiddos. They are opening the word of God and they're saying, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about the miracles that my God has done. Look all over this book. Let me tell you about my life. They are ensuring that there does not arise a generation that doesn't know the Lord or the great works that he has done. They are doing that right now for our children. But they are so tired because there are so few people doing it. I want to share some stats that blew my mind when I, I, thought of, uh, when I saw them and I asked for them because I thought this might be true, but I didn't know how bad it would be. So there's good side of these stats. Like I told you before, God is bringing tremendous growth to our church right now. I asked the question, okay, doing a comparison summer to summer, so June and July of 2022 to June and July of 2023, on average, has a children's ministry increased of children who regularly come, and, and how many? And I got the stat back, and the children's ministry on average on Sunday mornings for the month of June and July has grown by 38% in one year. That's crazy, people. It, we're, we're, we're blessing God if it grows by 5%. 38% in one year. Now I asked like, well, how many kids is that that have like visited our church? So I said, pull a number of the last 12 months, how many unique individual children have come to our, any one of our activities that we have and connected with us as a church? And when I got the number, it floored me. In 12 months, 1,584 new children have participated in some of the activities of our church. 1,500 opportunities to raise up a people who know the Lord and live on his mission. And I was praising God. This is incredible, God, the opportunity you're giving us. And then I said, let me, let me pull a number of how many volunteers do we have serving in the children's ministry this summer compared to last summer? And when these 1,500 new opportunities come, an average increase of 38% more people on Sunday morning, the number of volunteers has dropped by 20%. At that same time, you got 80% of the volunteer pool trying to minister to 138% of the children. I mean, we have a problem right here. We're not investing in them because we think it's just babysitting and we're tired of it. And the Lord is saying, not on your watch. You go invest in them so they can know who I am and the great works that I've done because they will be the army that changes this world. And I feel like just God's gift. I had planned to preach on this. And then last Sunday, God just gave me a little gift. At the end of the service, I told you there were, there were seven baptisms at the end. Five of those baptisms were students. And those five were all children who had just gotten back from a mission trip. And they decide, I'm following Jesus after going to serve Jesus on a mission trip. I mean, let, that, let that sink in for a moment. 
They are going to tell people about Jesus and they come to the conclusion, he's my Messiah, I'm giving myself to him. They were going not to be served, but to serve, and then they decide, I want to submit to this king who came to earth not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. When they get about the mission of God, they discover the glory of God and they want him. And then I saw, many of you who stuck around saw it, I saw as these kids were being baptized, all their friends around them just shouting out, hallelujah, yeah, praise God. And when I saw them up there, God just gave me this picture. Like, this is what revival looks like. This is what fire looks like when it falls down. Now, praise God, we're seeing this 480 over the last 16 months, and that's great, but that's a smoldering. That's not the fire revival yet. And I've been talking to the staff about this, and I am firmly convinced that if real revival is going to come, it is going to come among you students. It's going to come among our kids and our young adults. That's where the fire revival is going to come. And you and I have one job, adults, to fan the flame for the students and the young adults, to invest in them so we can send them out into the mission of God, because that's when revival is going to come. And we cannot assume somebody else is going to do it, because no one's doing it. And not on our watch should there ever arise a generation who doesn't know the Lord and the great works that he has done. If they abandon the Lord, it will be our fault, not their fault. And God is saying, will you step up? And that's my challenge for you today. I believe God is calling you to say, no more will I sit back. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how, what, what way I can make a difference. But I'm saying, here I am, God. Use me. Send me to them so I can send them out into your world. If that's you and you're willing and the need is tremendous, I'm going to tell you in just a bit how you can be involved in this. But I'm going to wait to the end of the service to do that because there's a, a looming danger for all of us if we're not careful. You cannot let the young people of our church know who the Lord is and the great works that he has done if you do not know the Lord and the great works he has done personally. You cannot give them something you do not have. And so before we take any step toward how we can volunteer and being a part of mobilizing this army to send them out, we better make sure that it's not spoken of us, he or she did not know the Lord or the great works that he had done. I want to go back to what I said before. There are some of you in this room, maybe many of you, and you have never seen the miracles of God in your life. Some of you watching right now in your living room, and you've never seen the miracles of God. You've heard about them. You've heard other people talk about them, but you've never seen them with your own eyes. And I want to remind you that means something. And I don't want it to mean that you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ personally. Because here's the deal. You can know all about Jesus and still not know Jesus. There's a difference between knowing about Christ and knowing Christ, being in a relationship. But the very thing it said in the book of Judges that was wrong is they didn't know Yahweh. They knew about him because of their Sabbath festivals and the, the Passover and all the things they were supposed to. They knew all about Yahweh, but they didn't know Yahweh. And it's no different with us. And I'm so afraid there are many of you who have grown up in church. You know all the Bible stories. You can answer all the questions. And you think as long as you know this stuff, it's going to be enough. And there's going to come a moment. Jesus didn't leave us hanging on this one. He told us clearly where some of us are going to go, Lord, Lord, let me into heaven. And Jesus is going to say, no, I don't know you. And then we're going to say, but didn't, didn't I prophesy in your name, Jesus? Didn't I cast out demons in your name? Didn't I do great works, miracles in your name, Jesus? And he's going to say, maybe. 
but I never knew you. So depart from me. It is not enough to go to church. It is not enough to read your Bible. It's not enough to serve in a children's ministry. It's not enough to go serve the city next week out in the schools. It's not enough to go help a homeless person or try to be good. The means of salvation is knowing Christ. And there's only one way to know Christ. He has to be in you, not just around you. Now, there's some of you, and you hear me, and you're going, well, what does it look like for Jesus to be in me? I mean, how does that even happen? It's not complicated. The Word of God teaches us that we realize every other God of this world is a false God. All these things the world tells us to pursue, they're all false gods. There's only one God who died for us, and his name is Jesus. And he's the only one worthy of our worship. And so we have to repent, saying, oh God, I've gone after false gods. I've been living for myself, not for you. Forgive me, cleanse me. And then you say, Jesus, come take over. Come live in me. That's when you're saying it's not about me and my will anymore. It's about you and your will, God. You be the master and Lord of my life. Come in and save me. And then his spirit comes inside of you. And that's when you begin a relationship with him. That's when you know him. And that's when you begin to see the miracles of God. All those things that you've been desperate for God to change in your life now become possible because you know him and he's in you. But it's a step of faith. So I'm going to talk to you adults before you go volunteering up in the children's ministry thinking that's how you're going to make a difference. Do you know him? Are you experiencing the miracles of God in your life? Because if you don't, that can change today. You can leave this place in relationship with Jesus Christ, the very spirit of Christ inside of you. All he says is, I want you to confess me publicly. I don't want you to be ashamed of me. Choose me, confess me, die to self, rise up in me. That's what the baptistry is about. There is nothing special in there. We got no holy powder that we put in the water over there to make it extra powerful. It's plain water. But the faith that says, I want to die to self and I want to rise up in Christ with him in me, that's what changes you. And there's some of you today who have to be bold enough to say, I want Jesus. I want the miracles of God. I'm ready. In a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to come respond to that. But you got to decide now you want it. You want him. But let me also say this. Just real quick, I know there, we have a lot of young adults in the room. There are some of you right now, and you are struggling immensely with depression and anxiety, struggling immensely with fear and, and suicidal thoughts and pain and misery, and you don't even feel like you have a purpose on this planet. Why am I even here? Let me tell you why you feel that way. You are being plundered by an enemy who hates your guts. And he's saying, let me, let me send you all these different places. But there is only one Savior who died for you. And I want to tell you again, his name is Jesus. And he is the only one who, when you serve, will not plunder you, but give you life, give you purpose. And when you live for his mission, that's when you discover peace. That's when you discover joy. That's when you discover what love really is. But you got to live for him, not yourself. And that means going, okay, Jesus, I choose you. There's some of you, you've been hovering around Jesus. It's time to say, no, Jesus, I want you in me. I'm ready to submit myself to you. That's you. Come find peace today. Come find the power of God. Don't let the enemy plunder you any longer. Discover the miraculous power today. In a moment, I'm going to let you come forward. But one last thing before we, we leave this place. There are some of you, many of you in this room, you're believers in Jesus. You've already taken the step of baptism. You've already publicly declared your faith in Christ. But you're here this morning. Or maybe you're watching online and this is your story and you need a miracle. Here's what I want to remind you. We have a miracle-working God. 
And he wants us to see his great works. He wants us to believe even more so we'll live more on his mission so that we'll see more of his miracles and believe even more and live on his mission. He longs for us to experience his miracles. Let me tell you what James chapter 4, verse 2 says. It says, you have not because you ask not. There are some of you who need a miracle from God. Maybe you are dealing with something severe in your health. Maybe you're struggling with incredible anxiety. You don't know what to do. Maybe there's a situation. Maybe you have a wayward child that has abandoned the faith and hasn't been talking. You're going, that's, that's my experience with my child. I don't know what to do. You have a miracle working God. It is not too late. And maybe what we need to do is just cry out on their behalf. Listen, we don't control God. We don't tell him what to do. But may it never be that we don't see the miracles of God because we forgot to ask. In a moment, we're going to have prayer team members down front ready to pray that God would show his great work, his miraculous power for you so that you can remember the kind of God you serve. Don't miss this opportunity. I encourage you all to stand up right now if you don't mind. I'm going to invite the prayer team members and staff to come around here to the front. If you want to see the miracles of God, it starts by asking. We would love to join our faith with yours and pray for you. Whatever you need, you come let us know. And today, if you're saying, I'm ready to know Jesus, I want him inside of me. I want him to transform me. I want him to do his miraculous work in me. I'm ready. You come let us know. And when this time is over, I'll tell you what you can do about serving in our church and investing in the next generation. But it starts right now by making sure our hearts are right before the Lord. So let's start there first.